Hello, and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion, my music industry podcast where I talk to a whole host of individuals about their roles within the music industry, about their motivations for getting into the music industry, opinions about what's going on in the music industry, and everything in between. This week's conversation is with Giles Lux of Lucky G Production Music based here in Bristol. Yet again, another conversation online, and we talk about everything production music, working with um, production music creators and the creative process behind music for film and TV, editing, working in the TV industry, and everything in between. So if music for, for media, if working in and around the TV and film areas is something that's interesting to you, this is definitely an episode to check out. So here is my conversation with Giles of Lucky G Production Music. It would be great to just kind of find out your story a little bit as an editor and, and how you got into the game and how it's changed and and what it really involves because I don't know. Well, my I my um, route in is a lot of people in telly or in music have a very strange story and mine's another strange story. And basically, to be very quick, I always loved doing music. Like so many people, I fell in love with it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I was a keyboard player, and then I got involved in the techie side. We're talking like mid eighties, yeah. right? I'm old, I'm fifty, and um, I was very lucky because I was quite, as a young boy, I was very entrepreneurial as well, and I um, had a business and made money as a car washer. But <laughs> regularly, I used to do that, and I basically okay. neglected school. That's what I did. I did my schooling, went out, made my money, bought a four track, bought a drum machine, bought a synth. Other people who were then people who were like into music used to come around and bring their decks over and try and borrow my four track and I got to meet them right and then when I left school I worked um in music shops and then I worked in bars and learned to throw bottles around because I was a cricketer as well right so I've nice. got good hands and uh because I was a bottle thrower someone saw me throwing bottles around and was like oh you're really good at that can you um come and work on my tv show and I went okay, I'll come and do a TV show. And I went and did, I performed a few times and they paid me or okay. sort of lauded me. And it was, okay, that's fine. And I went like, well, I love working in telly. Can I have a job? And they went, all right. <laughs> I got a job as a runner on the nice. back of a performer. Being a performer okay. in front of camera, I got a job as a runner. And then after about three weeks of being a runner, I first went to an edit suite and went, hold on. This is a bit like what I do musically. This is this mm-hmm. side of things. I've been in front of camera um throw my bottles about <laughs> tossing bottles tosser and then <laughs> and then i went into um an edit suite and thought well i could do this and the company i worked for were quite a small indie um tv channel mm-hmm. affiliate to htv and all sorts and then they basically went well yeah you could you know so they trained me up as an assistant editor <laughs> okay I used to stripe tapes and do all those horrible techie things back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then I left there after a while, got a job as an assistant, and then did more editing. I thought I might be an audio person, but I went back into editing again. And I sort of then did regional TV shows 
and then what more epos people do i did a regional 30 minute and then i did some national tv and a re national 30 minute shows and then got some i've made a mate of mine was working in the natural history unit and he said well you you could come and edit for me on really watcher which i did and then they liked me and then i went from there really so that's kind of so all the way along i've always sort of done music and telly because i was playing in, in a band and the band mm -hmm. i was in in the early 90s signed to moax records okay and then I fell out with them and then um, we all fell out and was like, I'm probably going to go into telly. And then by the time I was about 30, all those people that I borrowed my four track and done music with me were like, well, Giles, you do music and television. Um, how do I get music onto my onto TV programs? And I was like, yeah. speak to production music companies or speak to the um, filmmakers. And, and then after realizing how difficult that was, I thought, hold on a minute. When I was about 35, I started thinking, I think I could, could I start my own library company? Is that what mm -hmm. I should be doing? Should I be a music publisher? I thought I've got music knowledge. I've got telly knowledge. Yeah. I know it's like being a composer. I know what it's like trying to, you know, and then it was like light bulb moment and thought, right. So I started doing publishing courses and all that. And then Lucky G was kind of born basically with the, with the um, help of my music partners who were also in the same band as me, which mm -hmm. was the Federation. Right. Um, and they are seasoned TV writers. They had a massive stock of music on their hard drive, yeah. which hadn't been used for any of the jobs. And they were like, well, it's licensed. We own the publishing for it. It's license free. So we could give you, we could put that into the library. Then I spoke to loads of other composers, among them people like Al Swift, who'd worked with Peter Gabriel, Massive Attack. He'd done a lot of the CSI shows and had lots okay. of surplus music and was like, well, um, you can have that as well. And we were like, okay, that's good. So that's another 20 tracks. And then spoke to Benji Bauer, who was another mate of ours who's done a lot of theatre stuff. And he'd been with Unforeseen, who were part of True Thoughts Records as well. Right. And he went, you could have this lot. And we started compiling basically a he stock. Just started we, building it up. Yeah. Yeah. And we had about, so when we launched, we, I think it was, we had 130 tracks and their alt mixes. So it was probably about 400, 500. And as what happened was, we, when we launched, we didn't have a website. We had all the music was on a tiny little USB key with Lucky G logo on it. And we gave those to people and all these editors that we knew were like, took them, took them and went, oh, this is very nice. Well, let's have a listen to the music. And then we put the, listen to the music and go, oh, well, that's good. I wouldn't use it on this job, but I might use it in the future. And we got quite a, instantly quite a positive response. And it's got, kind of gone from there, really, and sort of just scaled up, you know, bit by bit. Before kind of jumping into the Lucky G stuff, because there's a lot, there's a lot in there that I'd, I'd really like to to learn about and and to ask you about. Kind of, it's um, what what is the you know? Could you talk a little bit more about the role of an editor? Something that you're still doing? You know, what what is that? What are your tasked with doing? And then how does music feed into that role as an editor? So as an as an editor, I mean our yes. our job um is you know an editors in feature film whatever you're editing mm -hmm. your job is to sit alongside the director or the filmmaker and help them realize their vision yep it's a lot bit like a bit like being an engineer in a in a music studio um situation with the people who prep basically with a button monkey press the buttons and put everything together so mm -hmm. directors when they come in work with all sorts of different ways sometimes they'll come in and they'll have um, shot a sequence which they have spent an awful lot of money on and I'll go that's the first thing I want to see I want to see if it works let's just and you find yourself suddenly jumping to the end 
of a film and cutting something it's like okay normally the process would be sit down what is this film about what what is it what's the story and the director said well we went this was the idea was to make a story about la 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 so and so when he was a young boy worked here and he you know etc and then but when we filmed it this is what happened so there's the sort of shooting script and then yes. there's the, the the actual real script is what we shot and this is my, how it might go together so so the director will tell you this and then we shot this to go with it and then what we tend to do is to start by looking at the footage and actually to be really really boring is to sort of collate the footage into into what we call bins which is um, like so you can organize things and sort of creating mm -hmm. indexes or select so we go nice shots oh here's some good interview bits here's the piece to camera if it has a presenter his interview with Charlie, his interview with Hannah, his interview with the old guy who talked about this. And yeah. then it's a bit like a sculpture. What you do is you start very, very big with a big sort of slab of everything. And then you mm -hmm. just go back and it's whittling down, whittling down each time and refining and refining and refining. And that's where music and TV are quite similar. And just any art, I think any creation, you start with a big idea and it's about it, and it changes and it evolves as you build it. And often mm -hmm. the vision that was there by the director or the producer or whatever it is at the beginning isn't often sometimes what you always end up with. Hopefully it's our job as an editor to make that better. Yep. Is to realize it, make it happen and make it better. Even if it's slightly different to what they, what they were initially expecting, not necessarily wanted, but is to fulfill the, the job and make it come to life. And, yes. and that's my job as an, as an editor. Is it mainly documentaries and that style that, you're, that your background is in? Or have you worked on kind of any, anything that's a bit, you know, more dramatic works and things like that? And is there kind of really big key differences between the two when you're, when you're talking to, I guess, real people versus actors and a story that way? I am, um, I am a factual editor predominantly. Yep. I have done some drama, but it's more kind of like independent drama. The shows I work on, when I say factual shows, people say to me, have you worked on anything I've ever heard of? And I'll say, well, have you heard of Ray Mears? So I did all the Ray Mears series. And I did a show called Deadly 60 yep. for a long time, which was very popular. My daughter loves that. Uh, people, people loved it. And I did the first, second and third series. And obviously that cool. spawned lots of spin-offs like yeah, yeah. Live and Deadly, which was the Saturday morning thing and Deadly Bite Size and oh god a deadly art they had at one point uh -huh. all sorts of things so i was very um um you know very very big part of that mm -hmm. i mean i think i cut for a while more deadly than anyone else had ever cut and then i worked on used to work on really wild show things like that 999 i did back in the day another nice. show i've been a big part of is um uh, dosos i've been mm -hmm. doing a lot of those in the last little while um, and then the recent one I've done, which is completely different, which is quite interesting, is an entertainment show called The Crystal Maze. Yes. Which is a real iconic show. Back in the, it was a sort of 90s um, mm -hmm. sort of, what is it? It's like, Remember it with Richard O'Brien back in Richard the day. Richard O'Brien, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they, they've re, they've re um, tried it a few times through the noughties with, I think, um, Stephen Merchant presented one and then Ed Paul Tudor, was that his name? Yeah, I yeah. remember those ones. As and well. that didn't, that worked, or they couldn't commit. And then they ended up using the very amazing and super talented Richard Iwadi, who I think yes. is just an absolute genius. On, on, on it's all Attenborough shot level. in Bristol, isn't it? It's all shot in Bristol. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the post production, i.e., editing and mixing, is all done here as well. 
and I've been a big part of that show. So that's been very different because, of course, you're there working with. It's not factual. It's not a documentary, um, or really fact. It's, it's entertainment. Fact mm-hmm. ends. Factual entertainment. Um, you know, a presenter guiding five um, ego-fueled celebrities round a maze with a series of tasks. So it's great entertainment, but where you go about that as an editor is very different to where you edit um, other things. Because, of course, with those shows, they shoot a show. It's three yeah. hours long, the shoot. So you actually start with a show. <laughs> but then you've got to go, well, I now to make that 40 minutes because with right. the ad breaks, it fills an ad, a, a channel four hour, but the mm-hmm. actual show we cut is 45 minutes. When music comes into play for an editor, are you just, are you thinking genres and moods and that's it? Or are you thinking from a TV perspective in the UK, are you thinking commercial music? So known artists, known things, where, where, where and how and when does music start to, to figure in, in the mind of an editor? I think each each editor is um, every editor is different way they approach music, and I, I think probably we all hear we all you know there's a time when you need jeopardy and you need a little bit of uh, something to underpin a bit of tension, mm-hmm. or to underpin a sad backstory like a DOSOS, or if you were doing Deadly Six, do you need a little bit but you, you know a little bit of tension we're going to go and look for this snake this snake is deadly the whole point of the show therefore we need a dong dong it needs that sort of pulsing thing you know music is very contrived isn't it it's very cliche yep. but i think us as, as editors most of us understand there's a time for jeopardy there's a time for celebratory there's a time for mm-hmm. sad backstory you know and then the actual sound set you use within that is a completely different thing because so sometimes a show will say back in the day on deadly 60 they wanted commercial music because of course it was a kid's show so they wanted the music to be very accessible as the whole show would be in itself, the music to be a hook. Yeah. Okay. But of course that was back then. I should say that the use of commercial music and television has really changed. You know, this mm-hmm. has, has massively changed in the last three or four years, i.e. we simply aren't really allowed to use commercial music anymore as editors, which is good news for libraries. Is that, that, is that in general or there's just there's a lot more limitations on large amounts of commercial music because obviously we'll, we'll get into the the, the, the nitty gritties of MCPSs and blanket licenses and stuff like that eventually. Oh, fun. <clears throat> yeah, isn't it just? Uh, but is that just because of things like that, you know, just the uncertainty of whether or not you can use a commercial track because of those licenses? You just go, you know what, it's not worth the faff, so let's just use production music. It's really, really big. The big, the big major record companies, their artists, um, without naming names, have been quoted as saying, I don't want my music being used while they rip out Lou's on Homes Under the Hammer or something, or DOSOS. They, don't, they, mm-hmm. they were happy on their way up, but they don't want their music associated with that kind of factual show. What they want is they want to hold out for the bigger shows and the sinks, yep. okay, the big ads, the computer games, the big movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened was there was basically the big majors started saying that's one reason we don't want our music being used on TV. And the other is because um, certain international territories, PROs, performing rights organizations, aren't very good 
in the UK, it's great. In Australia, it's great. In France, it's great. And in Germany, it's great. In Western Europe, it's really, really good. Italy, mm, the PRO and it's called CI in Italy aren't particularly good at paying um, foreign um, non-Italian publishers. Right. So the um, record companies, publisher, publishing um, arms record companies and, and, what, and the small publishers have fallen out, fell out with their PROs and said, well, we can't then therefore let you have access to our music. So right. if you want worldwide clearance for commercial use, you're not going to get it. For, for UK only, there are exceptions to that. They will let you have it. But generally, mm-hmm. we're finding that clearing music, commercial music for TV is, is too much of a ball ache. It yeah, takes yeah. An awful, too much effort for what it is. And, and basically, live music quality has gone up and up and up. I mean, at the end of the day, also, a lot of live music companies are using big artists. They just don't say who they are. You know, and people like Ninja Tune have got their own library yep. company. You know, obviously, BMG or, sorry, Zomba, BMG have a production mm-hmm. arm, Universal production arm, Sony have a production music arm, Extreme Music, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So they all know that how big that global market is, and they all have some of their artists within that who are commercial artists writing library music. I think, I think the area, the production music as a as an industry, is worth uh-huh. about two billion dollars. Yeah. So it, it's yeah, it not be. nothing. And when when I'm talking to to young composers. Uh, about this area and, it, and it's 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 always an interesting conversation because i'm talking to, to you know 18 19 20 year old composers who are still very much it's my art it's my you know i'm pouring my heart and soul in and it takes that little bit of time to to say well you understand how a song can be written and that is a skill and that can be used as well as pouring your heart and soul into your into your music as an art form and so and you know more and more songwriters as you pointed out are seeing the the benefits of saying right well this is these are my albums this is what i'm touring this is what i'm playing live but i've also got this skill that very few other people have and here's all this amazing high quality stuff that i can that i can make available through through other systems and it's uh, it's yeah, saying it, the the quality side of things. You know, it's not lift music anymore, is it? It's not MIDI sequenced, plinky plinky stuff. It's can be, but it, it should be. It should be. It should be able to like like the essence of films. It should be able to complement any story from happy, tragic, whatever it may be. That mm-hmm. you're the you know production music or library music should be able to tell sto- stories from A to Z. You know. Yes. So just uh, a couple more questions with, with your kind of your editor hat on. If we, if, we, if we kind of ignore the fact that you have your own production music library as an editor, when you are looking for music, bearing in mind that there are however many production music companies out there and they're not necessarily competing in the same way that commercial labels and publishers would do with named artists and things like that. What draws you to one music catalogue over another one? Is it the personal relationships that you have? Uh, would you be inclined to go, you know what, I haven't, I haven't looked at some of the other ones recently, maybe I'll just have a bit of a tour? Or is, is there something a little bit different that goes on? It's a couple of, there's a couple of things there. I mean, one is um, depending on who I've been told to use, because depending on who the client is, whether it's Channel 4, Channel 5, Nat Geo, 
they will have their own relationships with libraries, as you know, because of MCPS, non-MCPS and all those. Mm -hmm. So if it was, say, a BBC job and you can use any library, whether it be MCPS or non-MCPS, my choosing of music is based pretty much on personal relationships with music supervisors within those companies. So right. um, I know the Motus guys. When I'm working on DOSOS, I'll phone them and say, can you dig out some tracks for me, please? I'm going to need happy process stuff like um, Billy's doing some, and the Sparks are working, putting the electrics, funnel fix electrics in. Some bloke smashing down a wall. Some bloke with Julian is helping to do the garden. I need music to complement those that narrative. Yeah? yeah. But then I need music for the sad backstory, which is the personal story within DOSOS. So I, so there's lots of different stipulations of the music we require. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then you need the happy reveal stuff, which might have a sort of sad backstory. Think, you know, it's where a Coldplay would have been used back in the day because it has that sort of like an appeal film you know sad tinkly piano sad tinkly piano oh there's a little bit of hope being introduced here you know and you're thinking as we've the, the backstory for the dos was being you know terrible thing has happened but with the help of the local trades we've realized this and then it's like open your eyes boom and then then you land it on the one oh my god and it and it you know it's to complement the, mm-hmm. the euphoria and the celebratory moment so I'll need that's another genre of music I'll need so I'll speak to a music supervisor within the libraries and say look these are the things I need and basically really for me that's just done I don't work with certain libraries because I don't know them or because they're massive I don't particularly like using the massive ones I'd rather use Motus a smaller indie I support it's like support your local shops I have that sort of mentality a little bit rather than support the fat cats how long do you think I mean for for those people and I'm I'm trying I, I kind of I'm coming at this from two two areas, this idea of, all right, if you are at a production library and you are trying to develop those contacts, those editors and things like that, how long do you do you think it takes to really build up that trust and, and the kind of the, the relationships that you would need to then, you would go back to them again and again and again? Because it's not going to be just a cold phone call is it there's going to be more that's going to be required there? I mean, I do, I do get them because I'm a business yeah. person and I know what it means to people. So I am quite receptive to that kind of stuff. Okay. But a cold phone call from a big indie like UP, UPM isn't going to do anything to me mm-hmm. because I know it's universal. And I'm like, well, you don't need the business. They don't need the money, really. They ain't going to go down. But a new company phoning me up, I would be like, oh, I'm all ears. Let's send me a okay. playlist. Bristol-based have been Bristol-based for a while. I'm I'm really interested to 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 learn a little bit more, to know a bit more about the Bristol ecosystem. Does everything kind of, do you kind of all work together in one nice happy family, or do you tend to see that it starts drifting drifting away? In you? television you, terms, you're talking. Yeah, yeah, because it all seems from someone who moved to Bristol four years ago from London, I'm kind of seeing quite a nice close knit little yeah little pocket of the industry i, I um, think that's I spent right some time in manchester as well so i kind of see it in both and i kind of like the fact that it's it's not everything's not london focused i think bristol's very i think bristol's not it's not quite so dog eat dog as it is in london i don't know about manchester but this is just from what i'm told mm-hmm. i think london i think um bristol is quite it's fairly friendly and people if someone's 
you know, booked for a job and they can't, or asked to do a job and they can't do it. This is whether they're camera, sound, you know, editor, production manager, researcher, whatever, wherever they are, post-production or production based. If someone, you know, and they'll say, oh, do you know anybody you can recommend anybody if you're not available? And someone will say, yeah, we'll try my friends. So and so people are quite generous, I think. Mm-hmm. That's not, obviously not everyone. In my experience, generally, I would say, yeah, people are generally fairly, um, yeah, f- fairly generous. And are you are you from a from the music side of things? Do you really just fo- do you focus on the Bristol the Bristol no. scene because there's more than enough going on, or is it global worldwide? I would say on I would say on that I'm going to be a little bit darker on that. That Bristol I haven't found Bristol uh, particularly especially generous on that actually. Okay, and that's because there are certain companies that. Um, some people are brilliant and that's we're talking companies here and yep. um filmmakers uh, other people just don't want to know and there are there are a couple of indies in bristol who are very very oh blimey very hard-nosed and they're very hard-nosed whether you'll be a filmmaker they'll get it's like get, they'll get oh, they'll make you work hard and um, from our point of view trying to give them free music and and they just don't want to know basically i actually think we we work at, we're obviously a bristol company we work in in bristol but um mm-hmm. most of our business is done in cardiff most of our business okay. is not done in bristol actually okay although we are based here our biggest client um our biggest client is actually bristol based they're not all our second third and fourth and fifth are all cardiff or london okay um, uh, um we do glasgow stuff a little bit of manchester we do stuff for limes we do hollyoaks and stuff mm-hmm. there manchester sorry liverpool actually but yeah so that's yeah so we yeah so Bris- bristol um is great and i as an editor i um do very do very well here and, and i am very mm-hmm. bristol but with our music we're much we're much um more um bigger bigger field than that yeah we we do we do a lot an awful lot of london really so tell, tell me a bit more about Lucky G as a, as a business. Uh, you've got, uh, I was looking at, the, uh, looking at the website and there is a genuine, uh, there's, there's, there's a big focus on the artists, actually, that you've got, you know, the, your composer roster, I guess, that you don't necessarily see on all production music company uh, websites, um, mainly because quite often music libraries it's more about, you know, here's an album of this type of music rather than here's the composer. So I'd be really interested to get your your personal and professional take on what you've done with Lucky G, what you've tried to do differently, what your ethos is, the relationship that you have with your with your composer rosters. I, I feel very much, you know, well, um, that like, like a... Um, a restaurant you know it's like where does our meat come from where does our dairy come from you know people like i think it's really really important to know i i like the idea of supporting our musicians mm-hmm. you know we're a shop and on one hand we deal with the, our clients our customers are the filmmakers yep. and our suppliers the farmers are the composers and uh and i believe that people um would like to know where they're food comes from and the farms and yes. i'd like and i it's the same sort of ethos then i like think people would like to know where the music comes from mm-hmm. which i mean we've got some things we've got some pretty big stars in there as you probably have probably seen as one of you know some really really big hard hitters mm-hmm. we have you know we've got people who are like top of the game tv composers and then people we've got like a youth team 
people who are like fairly new out of college who we think are enormously talented and we work with so we've got sort of both yeah. really so our, our folk are the reason we talk about the artists so much is we're very proud of who we represent uh-huh. and we like to think that our filmmakers are also quite interested in where the music goes and i think most of them are i can't speak if, i can't speak if i don't know maybe that's maybe they don't i don't know but i'd like to think <laughs> they do yeah, and that's the, that's the point, isn't it? Is that you've you've got to hope that you know what this is our ethos, and we genuinely believe that this is your ethos as well as creators, and that's what we're pushing. We're pushing the creative. It's not. This isn't just a faceless product that is just like is here's, another, here's another yeah. CD yeah. in the library. No, it's this is a composer yeah. that can can put some yeah. of their own personal creativity in there. Yeah. Does, does this ethos mean that you that you don't that you uh, you work with a very select group? Of, of composers and songwriters well, they're you're, not, you're not signing things on a really really regular ad hoc basis well, we, well sign in terms of signings we sign tracks and they're exclusive yeah. but we don't have the artists on exclusive we actually no. almost encourage musical promiscuity because i think that's the essence of doing music is you want as many partners as possible don't you mm-hmm. you know for your whole creative process yeah. it's you know and um um so we yeah we we very much you know encourage people to go and work with whoever and and we don't we're not cliquey we are, we're when we we receive probably at the moment two three com, com, composers every day new composers messaging us saying oh I've got some music do you want to hear it mm-hmm. you know um, and they literally are from super experienced like super massive film people or. Um, people just out of college they, they really do go right across and other ones that are sort of fade in the middle i've done a bit of pop i played with that band for a while had a deal i've written a few tv themes mm-hmm. you know it really is kind of you know they all tend to be pros um there's one or two who sort of do other things as well yeah um but yeah it's not a closed shop or anything like that we're always looking we're always in the hunt for new composers and and from yeah, a good. from a production music perspective how much music are, do you need to be adding to your roster on a on an annual basis Oof, I guess. how many new you know how many albums are you, is it kind of one album as much a month? as you as much as you can as long as it's good right so you don't have kind of well not necessarily good marketable there's, there's right. good and there's marketable i mean you know, you know no one i don't think anybody ever sort of as a musician sits down and goes do you know what I'm going to write a really, really amazing um, bit of music with pizzicato and plinky plonky stuff. You only do it because you you realise that serves. It's a marketable piece of music for yep. not so much as it was, but that's you know telly telly likes. That's a very friendly mm-hmm. telly sound. No one actually sat down to write it. You're writing it because it's a marketable piece of music because you know that it will automatically become extremely um, useful in the TV sphere. Yeah, you know, so you can be a commercial artist writing because I want to be a pop star. I want to write this, and I'm going to write that. But the stuff that's going to earn you the money isn't the stuff that you maybe necessarily want to write. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's part of being a pro, isn't it? You know, I mean, yes. as as an editor, I'm sometimes like that. I'll take that job. You know, I know I've got lots of actor friends, and they'll sometimes go, "I didn't even put it on my CV," even though it's a really successful, what we deem a successful brand, you know, or show. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, because they're they're trying to yeah, got to, got to put food on the table. Is Lucky G an MCPS 
rate carded thing. So you're doing your own thing uh, that way. And you mentioned free music. So is that how you've come? Have, is that how you've worked out the the business model? Your end is yeah, that oh, we're the, the, really, mu- oh. the music is this, and we're gonna we're gonna focus on on generating the income via the performance. Exactly that. Yeah, so our, our um, yeah, I mean, when we started, when I first did my my, my um, courses and, and started learning as a publisher, there was only one way of doing it, and that was the MCPS way, and that's always been the way. Mm-hmm. But when it actually came to it, and I started talking to people about using our music, I'm going to start this library. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And then people, and then when as soon as you started saying, "What's it going to cost me?" It was like people didn't want to know. <laughs> I've got a new company and you don't know me and I'm going to charge you. No, that ain't going to work. And then I did a bit of research and thought the MCPS thing, I think that that's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit weird with production music. It's a hangover from, because that's just how we do things. You know, um, MCPS is actually there, isn't it? So you can actually create a physical copy, which was put in the days of when you wanted to make a vinyl, an acetate copy of a record. You know, this is my license to make a physical copy and it sort of hung over, it, you know. Um, and then you've got companies at Audio Network who are, you know, cleverer than we are, who went, um, hold on a minute, we can do our own rate card, create a massive amount of music, make it really easy to use, really cheap, which is the first thing, and also really easy to license. We give you UK and worldwide and it's good and it costs you £500 a year. The MCPS bit of it is the kind of, it's the sync deal. It's the sync license. It's the, you're making a copy, you're, you're yeah. syncing this, so you need to pay money. You know, if you were doing yeah. a commercial piece of music for an advert, that would be, that couple of grand that the MCPS rate card charges would be 20, 30 grand for a commercial piece. Um, but yeah, but then there's, then, I mean, that kind of opens up the whole world of, of well, if you don't have price, to play with as you uh, as I guess uh, you know a marketing tool, i.e. the MCPS rate card. What do you have? Um, and that's where the audio network stuff comes in, and that's where a lot of a lot of companies yeah. like yourselves are coming. Going, Actually, we we're don't need to do this. That. Yeah, we're going to we're going to use it to yeah. our to our it, to our be- Dan, benefit. it's changing so quickly, and then you've got companies like Artlist coming along and Shutterstock and Pond Five starting their own libraries. For the more the domestic market and online charging literally i mean audio network came along and pulled the bottom out of the market by saying we can give you good quality music for x and it was a lot below the mcps rate card and an mm-hmm. artist have come along and gone well we can create it for the online and domestic market and they've gone i mean to the point where they're literally giving it away you know at what point do you say enough's enough you know we've, we've got to have maintain a certain level it's of, a race to the core yeah well that was what one of my one of my other questions was going to be what's your take on companies like music bed and art list and things like that Audio especially because because they're kind of they're more targeting up-and-coming commercial acts actually you kind okay. of they, they from from my perspective and looking at it that you know an art list seems to straddle it's got one foot in production music, library music, and one foot in, no, this is a commercial, these are commercial artists, these are bands, these are EPs that are all on Spotify mm. as well. And they're kind of saying, hey, look, we'll get get it on there. You'll get some money for it, but it's really about about the promo to get people to stream your stuff. Yeah, fortunately, they haven't really dented into the telly world yet. I mean, Epidemic tried. But yeah. To be honest, mate, the quality isn't there. There's an awful lot of music 
and a lot awful lot of it isn't very tele friendly so what you end up doing is it in the very high pressure world of of quick tv turnaround television is spending hours and hours and hours to find one piece of music and they've tried it they had quite aggressive marketing campaigns epidemics say them mm-hmm. and it didn't really well they'd obviously say something completely different but we i never used a single one of their tracks and art, i mean i find it slightly worrying art list in terms of because they just seem to have a bottomless pit of cash i now know why um and now they started art grid which is like stock so they've got stock music stock pictures you know it's it, this is the world of music for television is an increasingly you know, it's easy to fall, fall under the corporate wheels. You know, it's, it's dominated by massive corporates. It's a bit like I use an, an analogy that production music are quite like coffee shops. You know, we, we feel like we're the really good um, coffee shop on the corner. But unfortunately, right. right across from us is Starbucks and Costa. And a lot of yeah. people just want to go over there. That's what they want because they know they get a good quality. It's easy. They get a good it's... quality, it's easy, and they get it quickly. Yeah. Where actually the independent guy is actually better um, but you don't always know what you're going to get, or something like that. I'm not. I'm not sure. But it's a changing. It's a changing. Television is changing. The platforms, all the way we view TV with VOD, um, and the music is also changing. The way we license music, the way we use music, it's all changing so much. And I'm bringing it back to the MCPS thing. That's why we decided to go non-MCPS to make okay. our own. Make music firstly free to use, almost like long as it's um, for TV. Because yeah. obviously we get we get a PRS, a, a royalty from the broadcast from the channel, yeah. um, and then to make it um, um, worldwide um, clearable in perpetuity, so easy to license. So yes, you can have our music for free, and you can use it on your international copies. Of course, you can because we get paid more each and every time. Even if Italy don't pay you, we'll still yeah. we'll stay take the risk, which commercial company commercial work companies wouldn't do. No, 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 no. And, and that's I but think that's a blur the... for you. <laughs> The, I guess the, the going very, very quickly back to the art list stuff is that those companies have, are, are targeting the YouTube channel owners, the, the, the content creators. UGC the, content creators, yeah. Yeah. Is, is that a, a world that you've thought about trying to get involved in? Or have you gone, you know what? No, I think we're, <laughs> we're going to stick. We're going to stick to what, what, what we know what we're focusing on it's too big it's there's other companies in there like the art lists of this world that are just gonna blow us a little bit out of the water yeah we to- totally um have just gone exactly like you like you like you said we've just gone that's what they do leave them to it kind of thing we're only starting to change think about going well maybe we do need to do a monthly description because we've been asked now i mean literally about three times this not that this month only five or you know it's early in the month but yeah. um we've been asked several times in the last few weeks for by filmmaker people that we know who are making online content you know, obviously at the moment where we're at a lot of ugc stuff for youtube and people who are making things on quite low budget are saying well have mm-hmm. you got an online license and we we don't basically because we've basically stuck to what we know which is the world of music for television yeah but um, as things change and go more online, we will need to have a different license. It has to be a different license. There's lots of, as you probably know, there's lots of different um, ways it works. Like you need to be in um, uh, white book. It, what's it called? White listing. White listing. Right. White list. Not a blacklist the way around. To say it's a YouTube thing that they created. To say you can have access to. You can use this company. It's pretty clear to use them. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, there's yeah. no royalties at this time for online usage. Again, that might change. 
we know that it's very low for Spotify. And I think if enough composers cry out, I think it will change. Again, all this stuff's a grey area. It's all changing all the time. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there is, in, in much the same way as there is on Spotify, there, there is teeny tiny amounts that can, that can be generated. But a lot of YouTube, you know, non-commercial YouTube stuff is kind of expecting it to not be... You know, it's not something that you you could copyright strike or or start claiming um, ad share revenue on on mm. on the video because that's basically what the, what the channel. Is. Yeah, so it's it's Spotify uh, it's will a... change soon because I know for I know um, you can just read the music press and you know umpteen big rock stars um, who will say yeah. things. Hold on a minute here. This guy who started Spotify, clever man that he is, who's now a multi billionaire, mm-hmm. has never put together a piece of music in his life. <laughs> yeah, here we are earning, you know, mates of mine who are quite successful commercially holding up a check of 150 quid for 180 million plays. Yeah, yeah, how come we haven't got any money? Yeah, the guy who owns it has never made it, has never put, you know, has got, you know, masses. It's all, it's all a bit wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that will, um, collective thinking will cause changes the way we um, um, listen to music, um, stream music. I think that would that would definitely change. Of course, I suppose spot, maybe Spotify is a sort of stopgap between Napster, i.e., free, and at least getting some remuneration for your music. But I think in time it will change again. Have you ever thought about putting your catalog up on Spotify? Mm. it's been again another thing again we have we we kind of have so much going on it almost comes too thick and fast mm-hmm. and to do things properly the sort of legal uh, um requirements almost take such a long time that almost you just go do you know what let's focus on what we get we're good at and what we get paid yeah there is only so many hours in a day if i had massive amounts of corporate funding i could hire people to look after that thing, but I don't. We're, we are we've grown <laughs> yes. our business very organically. We're a, yeah, we're basically yeah. ostensibly a small family-run business. We we don't mm-hmm. have the backing of a, you know, multi-trillion-dollar investment company. We are we are just a small, um, homegrown company. But I think all those things we've been asked about setting up a commercial arm for release stuff. We've been asked about setting up okay. a monthly subscription for online and domestic use. They're all things that we can do. You know, and I guess they're all different streams. How you make money from music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because it's it's. I spoke. It was. I think it, the first time this came up was with a in a, in a conversation with Ray, basically saying because library music, production music, and commercial music was always separate because you just you didn't want to have to faff around with distribution to get it to get those CDs albums in into shops and things like that. That kind of defeated the object. But now that that that's gone and he said yeah but yeah we'll do it but it's not a priority we'll get around to it eventually <laughs> yeah and it just means that you can i guess collect dribbles bits and pieces um yeah very very quickly kind of there's a couple more things i was hoping to get 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 you commenting on you mentioned that a lot of your uh, focus uh, especially from a financial perspective is on the is on the performance royalty side of things um, what did you make of all of the Discovery Network shenanigans, basically saying, if you're going to work with us, you need to give up? We were all crapping ourselves. Yeah, I bet. Everyone was. 
I mean, that that goes from Lucky G all the way to bloody mm-hmm. U2. I mean, you know, that would have massive ramifications yeah. for the whole music industry. And it's one greedy company's ideal, um, sending reverberation out through the whole industry. And even the, the voicing of it, I think, is quite worrying and stuff, really. But, you know, just to increase their revenue by two billion, they would be basically doing over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and th- hundreds of thousands of musicians worldwide. I mean, it was revolting, mm-hmm. but that's where we're at. I mean, you know, the world, the world is run by massive corporations and what yeah, does the yeah. little fish have to say? You know, unless we, you know, it's a cha- like we said, it's a changing world and hopefully that'll never, ever happen. It's all changing, who knows? But if, if it does, then the whole world of music and I guess it will change. Whatever happens, people will sell it at, up front or whatever, but um it's that was that was a scary time and mm. um, it was good that so many people responded to it with such um vigor and and quickly it was sort of poo-pooed although of course they'll still be floating it and going well oh, can we make more money there's all sorts of dirty tricks going on right. out there, as you know in the music world to get ahead people will um like in the in the film world because people are so desperate and so mm-hmm. want it there's lots of nasty dirty tricks that people are using to, to, to make more money because there's lots of greedy people out there. I guess it's you kind of got hope that it was it was the catalyst to galvanise the 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 creators on on our side on the music yeah, side yeah. to say right if you want this yeah. you're going to have to pay for it if you don't want to pay for it then you just don't get it you can't have it and actually the quality will just drop so quickly because the artists. stuff that you will get is is going to be the, the the composers that just aren't quite aren't there yet and then you're going to have to come back around hopefully have you been targeting are you are you looking towards the netflixes and the amazon primes and done a bit those sorts of companies yeah we do we and do are you a bit seeing more and more com- coming in we 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 do certain shows for netflix but it's usually because we've made them for bbc first or right. channel four because we're a big channel four supplier mm-hmm. um and then they have they want Netflix or Amazon clearance or other SVOD, VOD, um, PPV clearances, and we do that. And we've just gone. Do you know what? If the predominant use, primary use, is for um, broadcast television, we'll say yes to it because we don't we don't really know what the royalties are on Netflix and stuff. We know they're a lot lower, but obviously we don't get anything up front. If you're yeah. Hans Zimmer writing The Crown, they're obviously going to say to you, well, look, here's 500 grand for writing the whole series so that he's going to get out front. We've never had Netflix come to us direct to say, can we have your music for our series? It's just been as a secondary use. Is there potential in there with, with the, the, the kind of relationships that you have with your composer, Ross, or you know, with, with the artist that you've worked with? Is there, is there scope? Is there room for, for developing the bespoke Oh no, we do. We do. We do do that, like but that. not for Netflix. We just we've never done it. I mean, we did one of our really, really big artists, Alexandra Harwood, who's doing the new series of All Creatures Great and Small at the moment. Right. She last year did the Thatcher, big Thatcher series for BBC. Okay. And that was because the series producer on that was a big Lucky G fan, and had found Alexandra Harwood and really likes her stuff. I mean, she's mega. Okay, she's super, okay. super mega. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. She's Mike Newell, um, Mike Newell's favourite composer, and he's the guy right. who did a film called Forwardings and the Funeral. Yeah. So she's his go-to composer. She did the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Society film last year. So right. she's popular. But when when this series producer on Thatcher um, wanted music, he went to us and said, "Can I contact Alex 
direct and we went absolutely yeah and we just put them in touch and actually one what we don't make any money from it what ended up happening was that they used they had a budget which of, of x and they paid her that to write a load of music and they then and then the other half of the music for the series came from the lucky g catalog which was her right. music so she got credited as alexandra harwood the composer half was composed half was from lucky g which is obviously but you're, really great but for you, us. But you step away from those kind of more bespoke composer yeah. relationships. Don't you're not in a position yet to, to say, actually, we'll act on your behalf to try and get some of those that. things. You're not, you're not, okay. I mean, it would um, be nice to say, look, can we retain the publishing for it? Um, and then we would lower the cost or something. That would be a thing mm -hmm. to do. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, we tend to just go, look, we're just going to hook you up. You can give us a case of wine. <laughs> nice. And a, and, a, and, like a, and a selection of craft olives. It's the, the, the way forward, wine and olives, as in lieu of sink fees. <laughs> <laughs> um, last thing to, to get your to get your two cents on, to get your opinion on, is is where's all this going? Where's what's what's exciting you for the future of of the Lucky G? Uh, business and and what you're working on from that side of things is because you know that there's lots of who knows where this is going is it is it more online stuff is it developing the business in some way is it working with with new artists or is it just kind of continuing to chug along as you are uh, yeah I mean we are we're on a sort of fairly like big kind of curve like this at the moment mm. um, there's there's so much this like I said there's so there's so much going on it's hard to keep a, a, a breast of it all really I think our international um, side of our company is quite interesting because we've got various people interested in representing us overseas okay that's an interesting thing because that's that's uncharted territory for us we do stuff okay, BBC so you... worldwide and certain channel four shows that have become very successful Right. overseas but we haven't worked sort of that word in publishing at source <laughs> but no one's been using our music you know in cutting rooms in um australia for like love island or something like that we need okay our representation to be sorted out overseas so you're looking for sub-publishers yeah yeah we're in that we're, we're that, well we're, we're looking for them and they're and they're pitching to us because we've got several um in certain territories sort of fighting over us which is quite nice very flattering cool. Um, and the US will be an interesting market to crack. Yeah, yeah. It's so massive, but it's so unknown. Yeah. And it works in such a weird way. So there'll be a certain element of chugging along with certain things mm -hmm. and keeping an eye on things. Because obviously it's such a changing world here, the way we're making telly, the way it's all mm -hmm. shifting. Um, but at the end, bottom line is I think we feel we're in a really good position in this changing world. And given our current progress if it continues like this we're going to be we're going to be all right cool nice one thank you so much for for chatting to me thank you for having me massive thank you to giles for giving me some time to chat uh, I my background is in synchronization and film and television so I always really really enjoy those conversations and I hope you did too as always please do check out the links that I've posted in the description below if you would like to get in touch please do get in touch using the email address in the description below and keep on coming back and keep on listening to these episodes much appreciated and until next time, see you later.